0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, spirit of truth present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here at the Institute of Catholic Culture Sunday Gospel Reflections with the amazing and internationally recognized radio personality, Annie Mitchell.
1: Father Hezekiah's internationally recognized and renowned priest of the Lord. (laughs) It is so good to be here. You got the (laughs) A-team for Sunday Gospel Reflections here. Well, I got
0: Annie Mitchell. That's that's certainly.
1: And I got Father uh,
0: Hezekiah's. Uh, (laughs) 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Yes. And uh we're looking at the prophet Jeremiah. Give us our biblical text here, Annie.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for the first reading, we are reading from the prophet Jeremiah, as Father just said, chapter 20, verses 7 through 9.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 63. The gospel is Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. You call that the anti-pope verse? You know, we talked about the Pope verse last week. It's the
0: Antichrist verse.
1: Yeah. It's not the
0: anti-pope <laughs> verse. It's the antichrist okay, verse.
1: All right. All right. Okay. Fair enough. We'll get to that. Yeah. And then our epistle, one of my favorite little passages in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two.
0: There so you have it.
1: Sh- shall we Jeremiah? jump into Jeremiah? Jump into the pit with Jeremiah.
0: And I just, you know, I had while you were opening, I had all my passages already in there. I but I I um intentionally closed my Bible so that mm-hmm. I can say that I'm giving you guys enough time to oh, find yeah. the prophecy of Jeremiah without getting Excellent. ahead. So, look, we're gonna just go scroll. There's Jeremiah, I'm flipping my pages now. We're on Jeremiah chapter 20, and you should all be getting there about that amount of time. And we're in verse seven, and it's seven through nine, Jeremiah chapter 20, nine. verses seven. Rue nine. Go ahead,
1: Annie. All right. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me, and you triumphed. All the day, I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak in his name no more. But then it becomes like fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. Mm -hmm. I love Jeremiah. (laughs)
0: this is terrible how can you love this the oh, lord gosh the lord duped him
1: the lord duped him well that's one they of my questions a better
0: word than duped i mean it just doesn't do yeah. deceived how about that
1: deceived yeah that's that
0: what be... that's what that's what the rsv has oh lord thou Past deceived me. Okay. I'm sorry, it sounds better than Duke. But, anyways, here we are. What do you well, let's look at this passage together? Well,
1: yeah, okay. First, uh, of course, we need to to get our bearings as we always do. So remind us what we need to know about Jeremiah. And um, when in his career, shall we say, is this taking place?
0: Yeah, well, he's still in Jerusalem, right? So we know from the life of Jeremiah, which you can look at. In a couple of key places, I'm just gonna literally off the top of my head. I'm saying Jeremiah chapter 34 is your key passage regarding the fall of the, the reasons for the fall of Jerusalem, the prophecy that it would happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Second Kings chapter 25, of course, is the your passage for the fall of Jerusalem. Second Kings chapter 25. And the last passage here, I think, yes would be jeremiah chapter 40 which is your key one right the other two preparatory texts but once you know what's happening in jeremiah chapter four it's gonna tell you the whole thing about jeremiah being taken off in in toward to babylon but here we are in jeremiah chapter 20 so we are pre-babylonian exile at least for jeremiah and Mm -hmm. pre-fall of jerusalem um which um Uh, tells you a lot about what's going on. And then, contextually, we can simply look at Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1. Now, Pasher, the priest, the son of Emer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, and then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him into stocks that we're in the the upper uh, Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord, and so forth. And so so Jeremiah comes, he's like, you know, basically doing what your priest should do on Sunday morning, and that is call you to repentance for your sins. And instead of accepting the word of the Lord, this guy, who was probably one of the pagan priests, who is mm-hmm. in the house of the Lord, because they're worshiping false idols, even in the temple in Jerusalem, yeah. Um, uh, has, has Jeremiah arrested, put into stocks. And then there's this ex- interesting exchange that happens between verse 17 and the beginning of our text, right? Chapter 20, verse 3, 3 and 4, and then verse 7, because in, in verse 3, verse 4, we get the prophecy of jeremiah jeremiah said to him to posture that is the lord does not call your name Pasher, but terror on every side for thus mm. says the lord behold i will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends they shall fall by the sword and their enemies while you look on and i will give all judah into the hand of the king of babylon so there's dude you think you're in a power position now you're going to die sucker. And that's what Jeremiah says doing, but then this, this, that kind of continues on through verse six and then verse seven, the text changes. And at least in my RSV, you can kind of see that it changes from kind of paragraph tor- form to a poetic form. Yeah. yeah. Um, In your Bibles. And the reason that is, is because suddenly, suddenly the prophecy of Jeremiah Changes from Jeremiah talking to this guy and telling him that he's going to go to hell, basically, to yeah. Jeremiah venting his inner feelings and str- and struggle while he's in the st- in 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 prison. Right, he's in stocks, yeah. so he throw him into stocks. Right, they throw the things around his arm, they put his head into the thing, and he's sorry, and he's stuck there. He's stuck there, and he's going, "Pasha, you, you, God's gonna get you." you know? <laughs> Guy, get And he goes, God, why do do this to me? What, Lord? Every single time you tell me to prophesy, you tell me to do your will, and look at me now—I'm in stocks. You tricked me. Right? This is a
1: so, really good Jeremiah impression. This is, this is the best Jeremiah impression I have ever witnessed.
0: So, so this is it. Verse <laughs> seven is, is and the, the first verse, which is our problem verse, right? The Lord yeah. tricked me. Is Jeremiah venting? Jer- I'm going to go back and do that again. Verse seven and following is Jeremiah venting his frustrations about the way things are going here yeah and this is an important text i mean you know uh, again i've said this many times the whole purpose here at something Gospel reflections is to give you the tools to read your bible is not to give you biblical exegesis you can get biblical exegesis from a lot better sources than me let's be honest okay i'm not really a bible scholar i love the bible and and because of that i think maybe i can give you the god's people the lay people uh who maybe haven't studied systematically an opportunity to know the tools you have so you can actually study right nice. and to be able to learn how to do proper exegesis mm-hmm. so here's one of those great plate opportunities that we have and that is to pull out our trusty catechism the catholic church annie reach behind your shoulder i can see it right there on your shelf your catechism in the catholic church boom you're going to open up to paragraph 106 you're your, Your paragraphs are laid out in your catechism. Uh, That's what you want to follow because there's, of course, different editions. So different Mm -hmm. pagination, right? So follow your paragraph numbers. You're going to be in a good place. Paragraph number 106 regarding the inspiration and truth of sacred Scripture. Because you got to ask yourself on a passage like this. Well, this isn't the God I know. God doesn't trick people. He's not a trickster. He's not a liar, right? So how is it that that the the words of the bible can tell things which are not true about Mm -hmm. god right if the bible is inerrant how could it say say this right so here we go paragraph 106 are you there annie in your catechism right here god inspired the human authors that's jeremiah now god inspired the human authors of the sacred books to compose the sacred books god chose certain men jeremiah who, all the while he employed them in the task, made full use of their own faculties and powers, so that though he acted in them and by them, it was as true authors that they consigned to writing whatever he wanted, written, and no more. So when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, we're not talking about a pencil in God's hand, right? The human author is not a, a um tool of God. In that sense, he is an active participant, right? God inspires him to write certain things down to express certain realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example, a good example, of this: that the sun rose. Well, some would be like, "Ah, you morons! Modern science has proven you all wrong, and therefore, scriptures are not inerrant." Well, no, the words of the scriptures are expressing from man's perspective, certain things that man is perceiving. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a great example of that. And that Mm -hmm. is that Jeremiah is expressing his frustration that though he has followed the will of God, he didn't fully see the ramifications of that following, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees it as being tricked by God because God could have told him, hey, if you follow me, they're going to arrest you and put you in stocks and you're going to be the laughing stock of, of God's people, right? But like parents teaching a child, we don't always tell them everything. We tell them only those things which will get them to be virtuous, And then come to realize that in their virtuous life, that sometimes they're going to have to endure suffering. But if we tell them, hey, do you want to suffer? My child's going to say, no. No. Right? Do you want to be persecuted? No. Do you want to be made fun of? No. So I don't tell them those things. What I say is, do you want to be honest? Do you want to be a good boy? Do you want to be friends with Jesus? Therefore, let's do these things and present them with the good. And only later, once they once they're starting to mature, then I can reveal to them that yeah certain bad people are going to do certain things to you if you do follow these good things right or you will suffer difficulty and challenges in your life for being a Christian so that's exactly what's going on here origin says the same thing by the way he says when 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 guiding children we speak to children and we do not speak to them as we do to mature people but we speak to them as children who are need in need of training and we deceive children when we frighten them in order that it may halt the lack of education of the youth and so forth like that so it, it, this is what origin is saying I'm Trying to express it to you. And I hope that makes, that makes sense that God's not deceiving Jeremiah, but Jeremiah is frustrating that it appears as though he's been deceived. Yeah. This is the beauty of the scriptures. And it is, it is the, um, such a beautiful, uh, way in which God instructs us that he allows us to learn from the, from the kind of the movements of the human heart throughout history of men that have gone before us and have experienced things so similar to us and that they can then console us. Because now here's the thing. You've got to read this text in context, not only has happened before, but what happens afterwards. So let's just, again, we're in the context question, Annie, and you probably have other yeah. questions about this, but take a look down. Just scroll down with me after, after Jeremiah events, his duping part.
1: Which, by the way, I was reading a commentary that said a better word for it would be seduce. You have
0: seduced, seduced
1: me, oh Lord.
0: Yeah, there you go. Come so. down with me to the same thing to verse 10. Okay. Right? Because we didn't, that's the next verse. Okay, watch this. For I hear many whispering, whispering, terror on every side, denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my fam- familiar friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But so here's, here's Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah is in stocks in the, in the in the temple and he can hear the conversations going on behind his back, yeah. right? And all those people that pretended to be Jeremiah's friends are now talking behind his back mm-hmm. about him, right? And then look at verse 11. Now, this is where it comes very beautiful, very powerful. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who triest the righteous, who seest the heart and the mind, let me see thy vengeance upon them. For to thee have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evil doer. Okay, you see how this text goes from what in our particular reading today, from just this kind of frustration to the movement of man's heart. It's the movement of Jeremiah's heart, and it's such a beautiful movement of You know, that is so, it's just so instructive for us today. And so it speaks to us in, 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 in what we oftentimes do in our life and why Lord, why me and then praise. And you realize that God's got a bigger plan and, and, uh, and, and that, and that through those difficulties that the Lord will be victorious and truth will win out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, I don't know. You may have kind of already answered this question, but but something that came to mind as I was particularly reading the end of this passage, like verse nine, and then it becomes like fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. I'm just wondering, you know, what do we learn from this about the nature of of the word of God. And, and by that, I mean, obviously like scripture and what the Lord is saying, but then ultimately Jesus, the word made flesh.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, obviously what you're getting at Annie is that we can't escape, <laughs> <laughs> we can't, you know, you're like, man, I wish God would just leave me alone. You know? Yeah. You know, it's just like you got it inside you and you can't get rid of it. No matter how hard you try to walk away from the Lord, no matter how you escape from him, no matter how you hide from him, he ain't going, he's not going anywhere. And once you realize the gift that the Lord has given to you and, the, and you have God's spirit dwelling within you, though you may say with Jeremiah, that's it. I will never talk about Jesus at the coffee social again. <laughs> you know, the water fountain at work, I'm never going to say it again, because they just made fun of me, you know, and then, but then it becomes like fire burning in my heart. I can't not, because it's who I am. Yeah. And it's so true. And, uh, and again, this is, this is what the power of the word of God and, and how the prophets and all that the great holy men and women of the Old Testament and New Testament have gone through, or the great saints they've gone before us, are a, a consolation to us. If we would just throw out People Magazine and CNN and all the other garbage, and allow the Word of God and the, and the prophecies of the, the, the saints, or the teachings of the saints, to really impact us. And I mean, even in my own life, even today, I would say, really, I mean, I'm being honest with you, today. I feel like I'm in the stocks um, they've been thrown, right? And and I feel so much, honestly, today in my life that I am an object of mocking and of laughter behind my back. But, but Jeremiah returns my heart today to the truth that, that the Lord will not abandon me in, in a time of difficulty and that. Ultimately, those who would persecute or lie or, you know, slander or do any sort of evil against against those who are seeking the Lord will ultimately be overcome. And it it may not happen on this side of the veil, by the way. Remember, mm-hmm. Jesus died. Yeah. They killed him. And yet the Lord had the final word. Yeah. Yeah. It's a matter of it's a matter of how we're trusting the Lord. And Jeremiah gives us a great example. I encourage you really to go read uh, the book of Jeremiah, because um, and you're like, well, that's way too way too long. Well, you know what are you going to do? It's fifty. Yeah, it's long. Fifty chapters. If you take a chapter a day, you'd be done in a couple of months. But Jeremiah is just a beautiful story about a, a man who went underwent so many challenges, and then the, of course his lamentations following, which we have a talk on at the Institute of Catholic Culture, the lamentations of Jeremiah.
1: Yeah. I mean, just to look at this in and the responsorial Psalm, you know, like you see Jeremiah kind of not feeling the presence of God. And then like, mm-hmm. so you see this, I mean, our, our response is my soul, thir- my soul is thirsting for you. Oh Lord, my God. You know, like we have these moments as, as the faithful, as you were just saying, father, you know, like yeah. we, we almost feel like the Lord is so far away that we're like grasping for him, but but he's right there and we see this in playing out in the psalms the same kind of the same kind of feelings
0: yeah. we've said before the the purpose of the responsorial psalms is to allow us to to vent if you will to to allow to rise up in our hearts what the old testament teaching was giving us in story form now mm-hmm. we can responsorially sing you know hymn the lord mm-hmm. and allow this this truth to come forth from us as we're in the stocks with Jeremiah to say, "My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord, my God." So while we may turn our our hearts to kind of defending ourselves and vengeance, and da-da-da-da, ultimately we ought to turn that to the praise which Jeremiah has, and a, and allow that thirst for the Lord to to develop in our life. That, that's why we're at church on Sunday, right? We're looking for him, and often, you know, you said Annie just a moment ago that it was something that's so true, and that is so t- so often the Lord seems far distant from us, and um, and the fathers of the church comment commenting on the scripture are very clear about this uh, throughout the scriptures, right? The, the, Jesus will come and ask strange, those strange questions: Do you want to be healed? you like, of course I want to be healed, yeah, right? Exactly. Do you? You know, and and it's all because uh, so so that might develop in us a desire, a thirst, uh, and so forth. The Lord's not going to impose himself on us. He wants us to, to desire a relationship with him because it's a relationship of love that's freely given. So oftentimes there may seem as though there's separation. Uh, there may seem as though there's there's distance. But all of that is given to us in order to have that desire for, for God well up in our hearts and to be able to sing here, my soul thirst for you, Oh, Lord, my God. And I think, I think um, that um, this has a lot to do with our gospel reading about what transpires Mm -hmm. in this gospel, which can be read at the surface level and kind of just gone through and explained away, or it can be allowed to be what it's supposed to be. And that is the expression of the heart of a man who's frustrated in the situation he finds himself in and expresses himself, even though that expression seems so wrong you duped me, Lord. Right? Yeah. And here it comes out of the mouth oh of St. Peter. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's take a look at this. Matthew, Matthew 16.
1: 16. Yeah. That's in the New Testament Catholics.
0: Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Matthew 16. I'm gonna you know, father, whenever
1: here. I do pre-class Bible studies, when you're not there, I say that so that I can channel my inner yeah. father Hezekiah. <laughs> That's in the New Testament, Catholics.
0: Hey, you think it's a joke. I do Bible studies uh, with with people, <laughs> and I'm telling you, I see them flip over to the book of Genesis when I tell them to open to Matthew. Oh, and so, boy. We got a okay. problem. All right. All right. Yeah. Matthew 16, not at the ICC, though. Matthew not 16, verse 21.
1: 21. All right, here we go. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed on and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does For the Son of Man will come with His angels in His Father's glory, and then He will repay all according to His conduct. I mean, okay, so this coming, of course, right on the heels of—I I was joking at the beginning that this being the anti-pope verse, because you know we called it the Pope yes. verse, Matthew Matthew sixteen eighteen, where where yes. Peter confesses Christ and. And Jesus says on this rock, I will build my church. So this is really, I mean, almost head spinning, quite the whiplash that we get. I mean, especially if you're reading this straight through and don't have a week in between in the lectionary cycle, right, Father? Yeah, I mean,
0: and then you get whiplashed again in chapter 17, verse 1, in which we go back to the transfiguration story, which we've been covering a lot at the Institute of Catholic Culture. So, you know, this is a, a really a back and forth, but I mean, I... Okay, since there are new people here, I'll just say a couple of things. But I know I've been saying this for the last few weeks, or maybe more than that, and that is context, context, context. In and 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 I don't mean just the biblical context and the words on the page, but the social context in which Jesus finds himself. Right. So I keep going back to this week after week is Matthew chapter twelve verse fourteen. Mm-hmm. But the pharisees that's just a few pages back there. Chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him, how to destroy him. Right. And yeah. so this is what's swirling around in these chapters that were, that were kind of in between there. And that is that they're looking to get him. That, that kind of helps us then understand how this whole thing kind of comes to a fruition In chapter 16, in which the Pharisees, in verse 1, the Pharisees actually came to him and asked him to show a sign from heaven, right? Well, of course, he's been doing all sorts of signs (laughs) from heaven. They just have been blind to what he's been doing because they're ultimately asking themselves that fundamental question of who is this guy and who is he claiming to be? Well, Jesus is claiming to be everything. Right. And so finally Jesus turns around. So while all this is going on, right? Remember Jeremiah in the stocks? Well, all this is going on around Jesus, all this talk behind his back, um, the 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 the, the apostles are being swayed and they're asking this fundamental question about well, is is Jesus the Messiah or not? Right? Is he the king? And and so in chapter 16, verse 13 and following, and of course the famous passage of verse you know 17 and uh, and so forth that uh that that finally peter comes out and says well you're the king that's what he says right you got to translate the words you're the king you're the messiah which means that we've got a major problem on our hands because in chapter 14 verse 1 herod the king is asking the same fundamental question: Who is this guy? So when Peter finally confesses him to be the King, he commits treason.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So yeah. so we always this is the, the Pope verse right Thou art Peter upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall never build against we've all memorized it the Pope verse is really a Jesus verse because ultimately the Pope verse is is dependent upon the confession of who jesus is and once once peter said that once they've come out and be like herod's not the king you're the king then jesus must be killed right and so 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 then jesus is okay but you know what that means right you that means that they're gonna kill me mm-hmm. and that's what peter hears and yeah. Peter says, "No way, dude, no. I'm sorry to be, okay, that was rather dude right. But he says, "No, no, because if you're the king, I'm not going to let him do that because we're going to go to war. And Jesus says, "You don't understand what you're talking about, Peter, because my kingdom is going to be different than that of Herod's. And that's where we can start to see the beauty of this passage now. Peter's venting just like Jeremiah was venting, right mm-hmm. and And remember, remember when when the word satan we have we have uh you know you read this passage and you've got the picture of the red demon with the horns right right?
1: absolutely the pitch you're the devil
0: right you're the sky with the horns that's not what that's not what jesus is saying to peter and that's not to make this any less powerful but the word satan means adversary Mm. peter You're setting yourself against me, right? That's why I said this is the Antichrist verse. Because Christ, the king, is going to rule according to the way that the king is supposed to rule. He's going to give his life for the sake of his people, right? Mm -hmm. This is why Jesus, why now we have these two paragraphs, right? Jesus says, they're going to kill me. But but ultimately, them killing me is going to be the way I give my life, right? And so he says, and then he says, "Look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do the same thing, right? If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be a Christian, this is what you're going to have to do." And why is this fundamentally true, right? This is where we need to get to, and we're at the heart of what we need to do today, and that is to drive out from the Institute of Catholic culture any sort of heretical understandings of sacrifice. Of uh, of what Jesus is uh, coming to do on the cross, about the vengeance of God, all of that stuff, to realize the fundamental truth of why Jesus goes to the cross and gives his life for us. And it's and it's this, that, that it's because who Jesus is, right? Uh, in John chapter 4, we should turn there, not the gospel of John, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not the gospel of John, but the epistle in uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 first john let's go all the way to the book of revelation go backwards mm-hmm. okay first john chapter 4 verse 16 you with me any you got it there i am here so we know and believe the love god has for us God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 16 and we're going to look at this text then. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after Peter says, no, I'm going to stop. Well, Peter is saying, I'm going to stop them from killing you. But Jesus interprets Peter as saying, You're going to stop me from doing what I'm going to do. And that is to lay down my life for you. Wow! And then he says, stop it. You You are an adversary of the life of God. Because the life of God is love. And Jesus is the incarnation of God. He is love incarnate. And love is the giving of my life to the beloved. Yes? So let's ask a question. It's very important for Christians here. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why is that true? Why is that true? That that, that, that to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to lose our life, to give it away. Well, it's fundamentally true because we're made in the image and likeness of God who has given his life from all eternity, the Father pouring out his life to the Son and the Holy Spirit. This fundamental truth about the Trinity is that the foundation of what it means to be a Christian who is made in the image and likeness of God. This is the why taking up your cross and following me, why giving your life away is the only way you will find real life. Look what it is. Giving your life away is, is the way of love. We are made to be like God who is love. So if you want to find this, your life you're made for, you can only find it by doing this, by giving away. Do you see this? Okay. Okay. So this is the, the, the foundation of Jesus's rebuke of Peter is a restoration in Peter of the way of God's own life. Yeah. And it's the calling that all of us have in this life. To do just this, and I, I to to find this way of love, in which I don't seek Jeremiah to preserve my life, but to allow the word that is within me to pour forth from me, while I'm in the stocks of this life, while I'm being held down in this situation, I can't I can't not do what has been put in me as part of my nature. And that is to give my life for the beloved to pour it out. That's why Jeremiah can't keep his mouth shut. That's <laughs> why a Christian must be an evangelizer. That's why we can't stop from doing this activity because it is part of who we are yeah. in the image and likeness of God that makes sense. Um but can I ask a question? Well, I just told you everything it, I know about this passage, so i don't I don't know <laughs> any if I go ahead.
1: Well, we'll see if you can answer it. I don't I mean, it it does require putting us, putting ourselves right. in the the place of the disciples, because I mean, you hear this verse, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we as Christians, you know, know what that means. And we let it wash over us all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, that's great. Pick up my mm-hmm. cross, whatever. But in the moment, this would have been pretty, pretty shocking and confusing to the
0: disciples, wouldn't it? It is. It is. Sh- absolutely. I think you're right, Annie. Thank you for saying that. Really helpful is that we are walking around, and I should be wearing my cross (laughs) (laughs) right over there. But uh, I laid my cross aside, Lord. No, I should be taking my cross, and I should have been wearing the cross. But here we are with this cross, and we must ask ourselves what this would have meant. Because the cross was the worst place; the to be crucified was the worst possible form the Romans could. Unleashed upon a person, it was the most humiliating, mm-hmm. the the worst way to die. So this certainly would have been absolutely jarring to the apostles, which is why the fathers of the church tell us that chapter seventeen, verse one exists. Hmm. That now having shocked ch- ch- them, okay, he then takes them up the mountain and reveals who he is. Not according to what they're thinking about an earthly king, but he is truly the heavenly king, right? Chapter 17, verse 1 begins this the transfiguration in which he shows them who he is. And the fathers of the church are all very clear that he does this so that they will be strengthened for what is coming. Now, take a look at how this all works out, right? Chapter 16 is kind of the culmination of the, his ministry. The culmination of the whole gospel at this point comes to its final culmination in Peter's words. You are the the Messiah. And then Jesus takes them up and begins to to say, well, you're right. But maybe even more so than you realized. Having come down the mountain. Take a look. Matthew doesn't pick this up. So I'm going to go over to Luke real quick. Um, So just, just keep your hand there in Matthew. But look at Luke luke chapter uh i got it here annie i apologize Uh, chapter 9 exactly luke uh, chapter 9 luke chapter 9 verse 51 as they come down the mountain luke gives us a little verse it's very important verse 51 when the days drew near for him to be received up he set his face to go to jerusalem Hmm. yeah and Hmm. then you can understand in verse 53 now but the people would not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. That's a Hebrew idiom, to be single-minded in what you're about to do. All of the gospel now, having, having Je- uh, Peter having confessed him to be the Christ, Jesus having revealed himself as the king of glory, all of the gospel now will just come kind of come down the mountain to Jerusalem, right? Even though he goes and does some other stuff, he goes does some other healing stuff, this gospel is heading to the cross. From this moment, right? I I would just, I guess in answer to your question, this would have been very shocking to the apostles. Which if we go back to Matthew, you'll see what their their mentality is. um, Because in in chapter 18, verse 1, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, is the big argument about who gets to be the prime minister, right? (laughs) At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right, who's who's going to be right and left, Lord? Come on, we're ready to go. You're the Christ. You're the King. You're the Messiah. Yeah. Now, can you please give us the pa- the the code to unlock the lock where the guns are hidden? Yeah. <laughs> give us, give, Lord, the code. The code, right? Give us the code, Lord. Need the nuclear codes. Yeah. We, we, we want the nuclear No, we want the we want the password for the combo for the lock when we get the guns out because time to go to war. Right. Time to go. They're still. Their their mentality isn't quite there. It's going to take a lot to bring them along to understand what he's talking about. But of course, eventually they will be given their crosses as each one of them is taken to their martyrdom. Even John, who's boiled in oil, he lives out his days, but nevertheless, he undergoes a martyrdom. Yeah. So what is it you
1: like to say? A martyr has to be a martyr before he's martyred in order to be
0: a martyr when he's all right. Did I say that right? I said, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So, Annie, let's take a look. We're going to run out of time here. Let's take a look at the epistle, Romans chapter 12. Yes, verses Just one two and verses two. here.
1: I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect.
0: So this is where we can bring again this point about uh, giving our life away, about the life way of love, right? Sacrifice is oftentimes thought of by the Christian as the destruction of a thing, right? But this is not a biblical Christian way of understanding sacrifice, right? And so the way of the cross the way of self-denial is not a way of of destruction. The way of, of in a sense of destroying our life, but the way of giving our life to the to the beloved. Yeah, it's the the holy the the God making the 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 becoming God like. Yeah. The way of sacrifice to make holy is to make God like. God is love. It is a giving of sacrifice. Its its true nature is the act of life giving. Yeah. And this is what Cardinal Ratzinger Pope Benedict says. I will go back to this passage regularly in his spirit of the liturgy, which Annie, you have on your shelf. I don't see it right behind you right there. Where is no, it? No, I have lost it. And you lost spirit of the liturgy? That is. It's on whole... my,
1: no. Well, I mean, I lost it on my bookshelf in my dining
0: room. You have too many books. Listen to what I he have says. Too many <laughs> he says, in all religions, sacrifice is the at the heart of worship. Well, this is a concept sacrifice, that is buried under the debris of endless misunderstandings. The common view is that sacrifices is somehow something to do with destruction. It means a handing over to God a reality in some ways precious to man. Now, this handing over presumes it is withdrawn from the use by man, and that can only happen through his destruction. his definitive removal at the hands of man. But this immediately raises the question, what pleasure is God supposed to take in destruction? Right? What, what pleasure is God supposed to take in, in the crucifixion of his son? Seriously. No. It, it's not so much what that what they did to jesus that is beautiful to his to his heavenly father but what he did with what they did to him his sacrificing of their murder his making holy of what they were putting on him jeremiah in the stocks is anything really surrendered to god through destruction one answer is that destruction always conceals within itself the act of acknowledging God's sovereignty over all things, but th- but can such a mechanical act really serve God's glory? Obviously not. True surrender to God looks very different. It is the union of man and creation with God. That is the making holy, this sacrificial, the, the, okay? Belonging to God has nothing to do with destruction or non-being. It is rather a way of being. That is why St. Augustine, could say that the true sacrifice is the Civitas Dei, that is love transformed mankind. The demonization of creation, the surrender of all things to God, God all in all, that is the purpose of the world. That is the essence of sacrifice and worship. That is what it means to take up your cross. That is what it means to lose your life, that you might find it. That is what Jesus did with what they did to him. So when we talk about Saint Paul here, we talk about Jesus calling what Jesus is saying to Peter, turn around. Don't stop this giving of life. Turn around and join me in this way of life. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, to by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holding and pleasing to God, your, your spiritual worship. What is worship? Worship is this pouring out of our life to God. Right, and so Saint Saint Bede says says this, the venerable venerable Bede says, if we display our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, He will with with heavenly condescension deign to see to it that we are rewarded with the same glory as those who have given their bodies up to death for the Lord's sake. He's saying, it's not Saint Paul's not just caught, saying go go out and get yourself you know m- martyred, yeah, but he's saying get yourselves martyred. Pour your life out for one another. Become a a, a living sacrifice by serving one another as those who have been transformed into the love of God. Pour your life out. And I may just leave you with this in your communities and your parishes. So often we, we treat our parishes in ways so contrary to this and don't see our role in our community in this powerful way in which the the church is given to us as this opportunity to live the life of the holy trinity to pour our life out to one another in our service to one another in our sacrifice for one another in our bringing flowers before the virgin mary and in in the providing the wine for the, the liturgy for providing the incense for helping the old lady get to her car and pouring the coffee for my brother next to me the the, the church is a preparation Oh, well, you know, what do we where do we send the guys before before they go to war? They go to the the A boot camp. They go yeah. to boot camp. The church is is the boot camp, in which we learn we begin to learn again the life of God. And if your church isn't like that, well then go and make it like that. I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, "Well, you know, our coffee hour. I try going to it, but nobody goes to it. So it's like two or three people standing around. It's boring." I said, "Well, then why don't you take over the coffee hour?" Instead of hiding your coffee back in your church hall that nobody's gotten used to going to because it's not their living room anymore, haul that coffee maker out there right next to Father when he's shaking hands after Mass. Or if your priest isn't shaking hands after Mass, then haul it out there anyways. Receive Holy Communion. And then, having given thanks to God, quickly go grab that coffee maker that you got all prepared before church and wheel it out there into the parking lot and start to reform your church community into what it's supposed to be, a place in which the communion of the saints is going on here because we have had communion with the one who is holy in himself. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.